In lead climbing, I know better my limits and I know the routes that I can climb and I cannot climb. While in bouldering, maybe I'm not there yet. I don't know if like bouldering dreams will be possible for me in a short time, in a long time or ever will be possible. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game. And today we are chalking up for a chat with one of the most accomplished sport climbers in the world, y'all, Stefano Ghisolfi. Stefano's done more than 20 515 or 9A plus routes or harder, including four 515C or 9B plus routes, holy smokes. One of which, of course, was nabbing the first and to this point only ascent of Excalibur, a route that other crushers, including Adamandra and Will Bosey, have been shut down by, so far, this dude's strong. And as I'm sure you know, Stefano's also an incredibly accomplished comp climber, and when we caught up for this conversation, he was in Innsbruck at the time, training for the Olympic Qualifier Series. This conversation explores that training that he's doing right now, his goal to send the world's hardest boulder and sport route, talking about burden of dreams and silence, managing fear and dealing with send pressure, how he's building strength and power, embracing fun to perform better, and so much more. Get psyched. How's your training going right now? I hope it's good. I hope you're getting geared up for a good spring season. I'm pretty hard myself into a training phase right now as I get back into projecting shape for uh, my spring goals, which has kind of arrived a little bit sooner than I had planned. So thank you, climate change, for all of this warm weather. Uh, but I did recently just get back on my 13A project that I've been working on for now the first time since the holidays. And it was kind of a mixed bag, guys. The cool news, um, I, I gotta say, is that the crux moves have never felt easier. So the winter moonboarding phase has definitely paid off. I'm really psyched about where my strength and my power are at right now. On the flip side, though, I was definitely uh, having a little bit of a hard time recovering on the route and putting together all of those moves along that 75 feet of pumpy climbing. So right now, I am diving into an endurance phase. I'm, I'm just going to try and top off that tank and then get back out and hopefully put it all together. And now that I'm really focused on, on endurance, one of the ways that I've recently started to help better manage that type of my training is to track my heart rate and my HRV, sleep, other key metrics by using some wearable technology. So I got myself a Coros Apex 2 Pro, which is really rad. I've been using it for a few months now. They're a new sponsor of the show. I'm really excited about it. And I got to tell you, it's really opened my eyes to what my training and, and just like where my fitness is at. And to be perfectly honest, I was a little bit skeptical at first if something like this would really be useful for me, like as a weekend warrior and also just as a climber, because a lot of like the wearable technology out there doesn't know what to do with climbers or climbing workouts. But Koros is nailing it, you guys. And Stefano's actually been training with one as well. He talks a little bit about that in this chat. But I, I got to tell you, from from my point of view, I'm really psyched about this because I'm super busy. Like I've got kids and a job and this podcast, and it really makes a huge difference to know how hard to push myself on any given day. And I can do that by taking a look at my recovery and my HRV every morning. And that helps to guide how ambitious I'm gonna get, like with my workouts, which basically means like to put it plainly, if I'm wrecked, then I don't waste my time or risk injury or any of that by doing a long workout. I'll just skip the workout and work or get ahead with other things that day. And then if I'm primed, if I'm feeling good and I've had great recovery, then I know I can go hard. So it's just like, it's helping me to get the most out of my training, which is really cool. And I also love that it automatically logs my pitches when I'm climbing routes at the gym. This is such a cool feature. 
It auto detects where I'm at and I can enter each grade of the climb that I'm doing so that I can then pin my heart rate to those climbs. And that is going to help me over time to train up my endurance and assess if I'm getting fitter, which is what I need to go out and then do this route that I've been working on. It is such nerdy stuff. I love it. I, honestly, there's just nothing else out there that even comes close to Koros when it comes to climbing specific training and tracking. There's even hangboard protocols on the watch. It's really cool. You can hit that link in your show notes to see all the features. And you can also pop over to the struggleclimbingshow.com slash Koros, C-O-R-O-S, to learn more. And also, because they're a sponsor, if you use code STRUGGLE at checkout, you're going to get hooked up with a free watch band with any purchase of an Apex 2 watch, which is the watch that I'm using and Stefano's using and a lot of climbers out there. You've probably seen Tommy Caldwell and Sasha DeJulian also talking about their Koros. I'm loving it. I'm loving all the insights. If you're serious about your training and climbing and you like to geek out over this stuff, it is time to train with Koros. And lastly, big thanks to all of you patrons and subscribers out there. You're so awesome. And I just dropped a banger bonus episode with Stefano just for you. And I'm going to tell you all more about that in a little bit here. But first, let's pull the sword from the stone with Stefano Gizalfi. When, when you're in Italy, where do you live? Are you in Arco? Yeah, in Arco, usually uh, in Arco. I'm originally from Turin, Torino, which is in the northwest of Italy. Yeah. And then me and my girlfriend moved to Arco seven years ago for climbing, basically. It's the best place in Italy for climbing, for rock climbing. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're based there. And then right now we're in Innsbruck for six months for training. Oh man, it's just such a beautiful country. I love it. We traveled all around. We went up to Florence and Venice, Cinque Terre, down to Capri oh, yeah. and Pompeii, Herculaneum. Just absolutely gorgeous everywhere we went, though I haven't made it to Arco. So I've been talking to my wife about taking an anniversary trip back to Italy. It sounds very romantic to her, but then I'm going to sneak in some rock climbing while we're there. Yeah, you should. As long as there's some easier stuff in Arco. Yeah, there's everything. But it's good also for vacation. There's like many lakes, many places to hike, to bike. It's not just climbing. Oh man, I'm psyched. That's great. I'll have to I'll have to plan that, that trip. I'll let you know when I do. I'll get some tips from you and I appreciate it. But you're of course locked down in Innsbruck, getting ready for the Olympics and probably spending a lot of time on plastic these days. Is that right? Yeah, 100% of time on plastic since January. And I'm focusing on um, on training for the Olympic qualification and I will spend six months here. Maybe we'll go and sneak sometimes in, in Arco, back in Arco to climb some rocks, but mainly I will climb on in the gym for, for training. Great, man. Well, I'm excited to talk all about that. You're a dominant comp, but you're also working on some pretty incredible projects outdoors and have put up some of the hardest outdoor routes in the world. So plenty for us to dive into here today, but let's start where we always do with struggle. Stefano, you're one of the best climbers in the world. Do you struggle in your rock climbing? And what would you consider to be your biggest struggle as a climber? Oh, my biggest struggle for sure is a slab. I'm good at uh, like overhanging routes, endurance routes, when they're like super steep. But then as soon as there is a slab, I, I struggle. I start struggling and yeah, this is my weakest point, I think. You know, it's interesting because as a young climber, you started out indoors, right? It was a while before you moved outdoors. Were you not focused on slab climbing in those early days? Were those also overhung routes in the gym? Yeah, actually I was 
a bit all around, but basically when I started climbing, slabs were uh, pretty different. When I say I'm, I'm struggling at slabs, I mean slabs, basically like competition slabs were on slopers, on like volumes or like this. When there's something like with a very small holes, even like if like a rock slab, I'm like not the best, but I can do something. But like the thing that I struggling most is like smearing on volumes, running on volumes. So this kind of slab. When I started climbing slabs in even in the gym uh, were a lot different. There were more like technical slab, but with tiny foots and tiny feet and tiny holes. Right now it's a bit different and I'm struggling more in this modern setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely evolved a lot over the last yeah. five years, 10 years. And a lot of those running style parkour coordination type moves, which are very entertaining to watch, yeah. seem to be quite a bit different than what you would find in most cases outdoors. So the, the sport is going down this path. You climb outdoors at the hardest level and you climb indoors in comps at the hardest level. As it pertains to struggle, how do you manage that? Are you throwing yourself at slabs right now in Innsbruck? Yeah, I'm like <laughs> two or three times a week. I'm just dedicating uh, like half of day on slabs. Uh, I just did yesterday a very good session on uh, there is like a good spray wall, just like many holes on a slab wall. And I'm struggling a lot, but I, I think I'm improving. It's slowly improving. I'm learning to trust my feet on like very flat volumes uh, on different surface because there's also like dual texture holes where you need to, to stand very small foot holes. And I'm learning and uh, I'm struggling, and but I'm having fun too. Because anyway, it's even something new for me. I haven't focused on this kind of climbing since like last time was on the last Olympic qualification. And so it has been like three or four years. And so I'm struggling, but I'm having fun right now. It's interesting for me to hear about this work that you're doing. I'm not a competition climber. I climb mostly steep overhung routes myself, sport routes. But I'm curious if you find anything, because they seem so different, comp style, slab, coordination type boulder problems, and obviously very steep, overhung, long sport routes are, are very different at a glance. But are any of the skills that you're acquiring as you're focusing right now on some of that slab work, the footwork that you're talking about, do you think any of that will translate to your steeper sport style climbing, or are they just totally different beasts? Yeah, I think... Many of the things that I'm doing, like for competition bouldering, are totally different. So maybe they don't, they won't be useful for rock climbing in the future. But the good thing is that sport climbing in competition and, and on rock climbing, they're different, but they're more similar compared to modern bouldering. Like all the endurance, all the training that I'm doing on a spray wall or on a wooden wall, this. I think I will use this training also for rock climbing in the future after the Olympic qualification and hopefully after the Olympics. I love it. Well, let's dive in. It's perfect as we're talking about training here to kind of move into our training chapter. And you train really hard. You train, I think, in quite interesting ways. I love the content that you put out there. Uh, I'm curious, just through the lens of training in general, what's the biggest struggle for you? The, the part where I struggle most for sure is bouldering. Uh, because in lead climbing, as I said before, is uh, more similar to rock climbing. And and I also struggle to stay away from rock in this period. I miss that. 
uh, even if I'm quite close because I I'm now in I'm now in Innsbruck, but I I I, I move here for six months and I'm based in Arco, and so it's not that far actually. It's like a couple of hours, a bit more than a couple of hours. So I have plenty of projects that I'd like to try right now, but I'm forcing myself to focus on on training. And but I know that somehow I will use this train, this training for uh, for rock climbing too as soon as the competition are over. Looking back at your earlier days, as we mentioned, you you started climbing in a gym and and you got very strong climbing in a gym from what I've read and, and heard in interviews. And then when you trans transitioned to outdoor climbing, there was a little bit of a learning curve there, but it seemed like you ascended fairly quickly through the grades. And I think that's pretty relatable to a lot of the people who are listening. There's so many gyms now around, like really high quality gyms that people have access to maybe more readily than being able to get outside multiple times a week. So we train a lot in a gym and maybe get outside less often. And just from your experience, what was that transition like? Uh, for me, it was like quite fast as transition because it was when like my parents are not climbers, so they couldn't take me to climb on the weekends because they're just my father is a biker, so uh, they just couldn't take me. Right. So I started go rock climbing with friends after I was already climbing for uh, three or four years. So I was like sixteen or uh, yeah, fifteen or sixteen because I started at eleven. And so I was already well-trained. I was already competing in the European Cup. Uh, I was already competing in the Italian Championship, the Italian Cup. So I had like a, already a, a strong level, but I could never try it on, uh, on real rock. So the transition was quite fast because I, one of the very first time I went rock climbing, I, I went to this place called uh, Sarre, Sarre Roof in, in, in English, uh, which is a, a place that is quite similar to to climbing in a gym because it's like a very steep wall with pockets very far you can see the, the holes very, from far away so it was like a climbing gym but on rock yeah. so the transition in this way was really fast because i couldn't i could climb hard routes for the time quite fast because i was already get i was already used to climb on something hard i just need to transfer on rock there are some differences but for me it was quite fast yeah. Do you have any thoughts for those of us who do spend more time in the gym than outside? Anything that, that helped you with that transition or as those of us plan trips and get outside, anything that can help us acclimate to outdoor style climbing if we spent a lot of time on plastic? Uh, it is different, but like the environment is different. But at the end, like the climbing, climbing is the same. You just need to maybe to go a bit more outside and get used to, to what the rock is, to learn to read the rock, which is maybe the most different things the thing because on plastic you can see the holes from the ground on rock is quite different sometimes you cannot see a hole that is just in front of your face so it is about learning how to climb on rock but just to to transfer this skill that you have on on a climbing gym on rock and i don't know how to do it it's just a matter of uh, practice i think well speaking of climbing outdoors one of the styles of climbing that you're most known for, uh, although I, I would consider you to be an incredibly well-rounded climber, but you're certainly very strong in endurance style, long, pumpy, steep climbs. And I think that's a superpower of yours, certainly, is is to be able to 
just continue to hang on. If we're talking about bibliography or some of these climbs in, in flatting or that, that you've done change that just require an incredible amount of endurance. And is that an energy system that has always been strong for you or have you been working hard to train that up? And if so, how? I always had uh, good endurance, but mostly when I when I was young, I was doing like a bit of everything. I, I did a lot of bouldering, a lot of sport climbing, and also a lot of speed climbing when I was younger. Yeah, then uh, I moved to, to train more on, on for sport climbing for a World Cup competition. And so my endurance take the, the lead for, for my skills. And it's something that I think it was already inside me. I don't know why. And I think my biggest strength is the, not the endurance itself, but the ability to recover on, on rest. Even on small rest, I can recover really well. So if it's like a route, a consistent route without rest, I, can, I could struggle. But if there is even a small rest on a very long route, then I can recover really well and be almost fresh. I love that skill. It's so critical. For, for me personally, I climb at the Red River Gorge and it's very much where if you can recover between cruxes, then the, the route is manageable. And if you can't, then you're just coming off on the next move. How do you train that? Is that something that's trainable? Yeah, I usually do some circuits where I try to force my body to, to rest, even on very small holds, or doing maybe 20 moves, then rest, try to rest or force myself to rest on very small holds, and then start again with not like full recover, but trying to take advantage of this, this rest. And will you do this on a spray wall or are you on a rope when you're doing this? Uh, usually on a spray wall, I think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's easier to work on a spray wall because if you fall, you can immediately start or you can set your own route. You don't have to follow a, like a set route. But here in Innsbruck, there are like many good routes to, to try. So I'm switching a bit more on, on rope climbing because usually I train in Arco or in, in Turin where I used to live. And there were many spray walls and not so many good routes. And so this is maybe why I train more on uh, spray walls. Yeah. It's easier to train on spray wall because you need like less space, less hold. And even in a garage or in a, in a cellar, you can train. Yeah, it's much more accessible and you can set your own circuits. To your point there, you're climbing maybe 20 moves or whatever it is to, to the point where you need a rest. And so now you arrive at the rest. Maybe it's a jug, maybe it's a smaller rest that you're trying to practice on. Talk me through what makes for a good rest with regard to what your body's doing, what your mind might be doing, your breath work, any, anything that you're focusing on when you're trying to recover on a route. Okay, when I try to recover, I try to think about my arms and try to think they, they're, they're feeling better than before. And there's nothing really scientific about that, but uh, when you start feeling that you're uh, not gonna recover more, you you need to go. So I think for for every one of us is different. For me, I can I could stay a long time to rest. For someone else, they just need the, or they just have like less time on the rest, depending on the holes. And yeah, for sure, like the more you can recover, the the better and less less endurance you need because you just recover it. It's like a health bar, that uh, endurance bar. Uh, even if you don't have a lot of endurance, but then you find a rest, then you can fully recover and, and start again. And even with your strength, if you can recover well after a rest and there's a crux after that, then it changes everything. Are there certain 
tricks or skills that you've acquired so that when you do arrive at that rest, you're able to get the most out of it? Uh, yeah, I just do the basics. So you just go down with your arm, stay there as much as you can without getting pumped on the other arm for sure. And right. then you switch hands and sometimes I can also, you can also like shake on the upper position to let the blood go down and then to recover well. Sometimes I take choke, but it's more a, a mental thing because in the rest you don't, re if it's a good hold, you don't really need choke, but it's helpful for the mind. It just reminds you, you need to, to rest more. Yeah. I recently spoke with Adam Andre. He was just on the show and, and he was talking about resting and how he oftentimes when he arrives at a good rest, but is already feeling pretty fresh. He doesn't like to rest very long. He feels like it can drain his power. He wants to keep moving and maybe punch through that next crux. So it does sound like there's some nuance to how long one could or should stay at a rest, even if it's a really good rest. Yeah, I, I, I'm different from Adam. I, I rest a bit more. He is fast, he climbs fast. Even in yeah. competition, he goes fast. And I try to take advantage to every rest that I could find. I think it's just my my style. And if there's some holes that I can rest and I feel I need to rest, I don't want to rush through the next hole because especially in competition, I don't know how the next hole hard. So uh, I, if there's like a medium good hold, I rest a bit uh, as, until I'm I feel I can go and. Uh, my pace is a bit slower than Adam, and I think it depends on the just on the style. Well, let's shift to the opposite end of the spectrum here and talk about really hard bouldering, and where you might not require any rest because you're just pulling five or seven really hard moves. You've obviously spent quite a bit of time working hard moves, whether it was on the burden replica or the actual block or any of the other number of boulder problems that that you've been doing. So I'm curious, when it comes to your training, how are you training up that? real try hard, that real kind of tension and like top end power and strength that you need to pull limit moves. One instrument that I'm using often now is a wooden board with like all, all the holes are just made of wood. So even the foot holes are really bad. And this helps for, uh, I think, the, the body tension because you always need to keep your, your feet on the wall and if you jump to a hole, then you need to place your foot, but it's it's bad. So like a, a wooden hole, a wooden wall is a very useful tool that helps me for training for like max power or finger strength or order similar to the replica of Wooden of Dreams. I train a lot on, on the replica and on the, on like wooden holes on a wooden board for max strength in both in finger strength and in core strength. So like a wooden board, like a wooden spray wall or wooden holds on like a moon board? Here in Innsbruck, there is like a, a wooden spray wall where all the holes are made of wood. But even in a normal spray wall, if it's, if you don't have a, a board that you can dedicate just on wooden holes, you can place some wooden holes between the like the other holes and try maybe some of the boulders just with the wooden holes or maybe use some holes sometimes because you need to like to to pull a lot harder on, on wooden holes because they have no grip. So like the finger strength that they are using is like a lot more. And also the, if you're using like uh, wooden footholds, it's even better because the core that you need for keeping the foot on something that is really bad is uh, helping a lot on the core on the strength. Yeah, no doubt. I was on the moon board yesterday and I was working a problem just on the wooden holds and 
I was really hoping for some texture to be able to drag my fingers on, but it really does require you to bear down harder. And of course, it's a little um, yeah. more skin friendly. So that's a bonus as well. Yeah, yeah, this is also good for, uh, for the skin because you don't, you preserve the skin. Well, I want to talk about some of the training videos that I've seen you put up just, I don't know if it's like at your house where you've got that box that you jump and squeeze and doing double-handed campusing and you put up a lot of really fun content and the kind of the key word there is fun. And I've heard you in some interviews talk about how the, the more fun you can have, whether it's training or climbing, the, the better you perform or the more you're willing to push yourself. And I'm curious how fun plays into your life as, as a professional climber when it comes to training. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important thing when I think you can see on, on different occasion, if I'm training just by myself, maybe on something that I'm not super psyched and I'm not having fun, I notice that I'm not pulling that hard. I'm not training that hard. Otherwise, if I'm having fun, if I'm maybe with friends, with some other climbers of my level, I'm having fun and I'm like, I'm pulling much harder, I'm training much harder. And if I need to, if I train like three hours by myself at the end of the session, I say, okay, maybe uh, I want to stop because I'm not having fun. And if, even if I, then I do it anyway, because it's my training, I know that I, maybe I don't want to be there or I'm, I'm just bored at the end. If I'm like with friends I'm in training, I did like three hours. And then I say, yeah, I want to train more I want, because I, I want to, to try this one, uh, this boulder here. I want to try this exercise with other friends. I want to challenge myself with others. Like uh, we try who does this move uh, first, uh, gets, I don't know, an ice cream or something. If it's like more fun, it's the quality of the, of the training improves a lot for me. I like that a lot. I think that that can't be overstated. I, I experienced that myself too. If there's a good crew out and we're trying, whether it's on the board or on the set problems and everybody's cheering each other on, it just seems like you can try a little bit harder. There, There is the potential risk that you get sucked in and maybe have a longer session than you want. And is that ever a, a concern yeah. for you? Uh, how, how, how regimented are you when it comes to programming rest or trying to keep sessions to certain goals? Yeah, that, that's a good question because here, in Innsbruck, there's like a very good facilities, but there are also a lot of climbers, a lot of strong climbers. So it is easy to be sucked in some like super hard session, uh, but like everyone is different. So maybe sometimes I need more rest and maybe sometimes I don't want have to climb that, that much. And so I take some days where I climb with other people and I need to take some days where I'm just by myself. So maybe it will be less fun, but may, sometimes I, I think I, I need some training by myself to find my own rhythm and not to be like overtraining uh, because I just follow the uh, like other climbers that are training. Yeah, who, who's around there right now? Who do you, when you're out there pushing each other and having these friendly competitions, who are you climbing with? So there's Jakob Schuber for sure, his, his home is here. Of course. And so yeah, we, yeah, we train. Sometimes we train together, like not always, as I say. And then there's like a good crew of Italian climbers. Uh, there's uh, Joe Placci and Pietro Vidi. They're super strong Italian climbers that are like based here now for training. And there's also a good crew of like Austrians, uh, Nikolai Usni, Stefan Scherz and uh, Gianluca Porsche. And then there's the good thing here in Innsbruck that there's always many people from different countries that are coming for training. I think one month there will be 
the Belgian team, one month there's the Swiss team, one month the France team. So there's always people to, to train with, different people to train with, with different styles and, and different type of training. So I, I sometimes I, I switch if I, maybe I, I have a, a plan for training, but I'd like to, to change it to adapt to others, also for, uh, for training with them and have more fun. So my training is like is a plan, a strict plan, but then I'd like to, to change it if there's someone else to join. I've noticed you're posting some stuff lately with some data that you're collecting, like using a Coros watch and a heart rate monitor. And I'm interested in what that technology is teaching you about your training. Yeah, right now I started tracking everything with my, with my Coros. And so basically from the beginning of the year, every session that I do, I use the Coros and the band for the heart rate monitor to, to keep track of my training. And I found it a lot helpful to, to have a, also have a diary on the app to have everything that I did to search and to try to improve on, on things that I maybe sometimes I, I feel I am weak. I'm checking like the heart rate and try to find if I try in the same route, compare the heart rate between two weeks ago and like yesterday. And so if my heart rate is a bit lower, it means that I'm, uh, that I'm better on this route and I'm less fatigued. And then if my, I can check my, the time that I'm spending on, uh, uh, on a session, which is like not complicated to do, but if you keep in track of everything, how much you're training, if you're training too much or, or maybe not that much. For example, when I'm training with others, I'm tracking like the time that I'm training and my heartbeat. And from tracking everything, I can see that I'm maybe sometime I'm exaggerating, so I need to stop. Uh, or uh, what, what I'm doing is also to um, use the auto detect, like grade tracking. Auto the watch auto detects when uh, when you start climbing, and so in some ways I don't need to think about how much to rest or uh, when I I need to to rest when I need to start again because the watch is, does everything, and so when I start climbing, it auto detects that I'm climbing, detects every my data and everything, and when I go down, it just uh, I just need to add the grade of the route that I tried. And then I, in the evening, I can check everything uh, in the app and see, okay, here I was better, and, but I rest maybe too much between these two routes. And I feel like I can improve more if I can track everything from the beginning of the year until the end. Yeah, that's really fascinating to be able to look back at prior sessions and, and maybe see that your heart rate is getting uh, lower as you're climbing the same routes. And, and that would be, I'm, I'm assuming, an indication that you're getting fitter on that climb or you're less stressed out uh, on a particular climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I think the heart rate monitor is one of the, the most useful thing that uh, I always underestimated in the last years. But now that I'm, that I'm using, I see that maybe for the future of training, this could be the way, the, the, the path to follow. Let's shift and let's talk about nutrition here, which obviously can go hand in hand and does go hand in hand with training and how hard we push ourselves. What's nutrition like for you? Is anything a struggle? Has there ever been a struggle in the nutrition world? No, I always been quite lucky with nutrition because I don't have a strict diet. It's, uh, I eat everything I want, like 
uh, I eat even uh, desserts, uh, ice creams, like not every day, not uh, every hour, but if I want a pizza, I can eat a pizza once a week. Uh, if I want like a piece of chocolate, uh, every, every day I can eat a piece of chocolate and I don't have a strict diet. I'm also lucky that I don't gain a lot of weight and I don't, I'm quite light and, but it's something natural for, uh, for my body style. So I'm lucky and I, I know that I'm eating well and try to eat well and try to be healthy. And, and so I don't, I don't have to think a lot about this because it's, it just comes naturally for me. Are there certain foods that you found help you to perform the best certain meals that you'll eat before a competition or before big efforts outdoors? Yeah, I'm Italian, so I believe in pasta a lot. I, yeah. I eat a lot of pasta and like, it is like the thing I, I eat most. And uh, before a competition, I will eat like a, a like big dish of pasta, even like without any sauce, even just with a bit of Parmesan, it will be good. So I have carbs to to have energy for the competition and a bit of protein for from the cheese yeah for me the the meal to go before a competition is like a very good dish of pasta what, what do you typically do for breakfast uh, for breakfast i eat cereals with milk nothing super complicated sometimes a banana like with a banana sometimes an egg maybe it's not like a, a typical typical italian breakfast with a with an egg but like cereals with the with the milk is so is nothing nothing really weird. So I've seen a video with you and a banana, so I guess it doesn't surprise me that 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 the banana makes the appearance uh, on the breakfast routine there. Yeah, it's the easiest fruit to eat, and even like I can take to the gym to the crackies. I I eat a lot of banana. Bananas for power, not carrots for power. That's somebody else's. Yeah, maybe I could I could challenge Alex with a, a banana for power shirt. Yeah, I like it. Have a little friendly competition there. Uh, <laughs> what about caffeine? Are you an espresso guy? Are you a typical Italian espresso drinker? Uh, no, I'm not a typical Italian in the sense. I don't drink a lot of coffee. Sometimes when I need to wake up before a session, but it's not very often. It's like maybe once a week. I'll, oftentimes I'll, I'll talk with athletes and they'll use caffeine sometimes strategically before a competition or before a big effort outside to try and give a, a little bit of an extra boost. Is that something that you implement? Uh, no, not really. I, sometimes maybe in a session I eat some, some gels with caffeine and carbs, but I usually I eat some bars or something with just carbs or uh, protein, not um, caffeine. And then last question on this chapter. I, would be remiss if I didn't bring up the subject of wine because there's a, quite a bit of very delicious wines in, in the uh, Italy region. Uh, you got limoncello and any number of other um, yeah. delicious alcoholic beverages. Uh, do you drink at all? No, I don't drink. I'm not because of I'm like, I don't drink alcohol for any reason, but just because I don't like it. And so I don't drink it, but it's good for my artist life. So it's it's not that bad to drink like a cup of, of wine in the evening, but I, I just don't like the taste, so I don't do it. 
This episode is sponsored by Crimped. Crimped offers 75 different workouts created by world-class coaches and climbers totally for free. You guys, I've been using Crimped for years to log my finger strength and endurance assessments so that I can see how effective my training has been going. And I also love how easy and motivating it is to program my weekly training right there in the app with loads of proven workouts to choose from so that I can just keep things fresh. Look, if you're a self-coached climber, I am telling you, the absolute best and easiest way that I've ever found to train and stay on track is with Crimped. They group their workouts, y'all, into categories. So endurance, power endurance, strength and conditioning, boom, no confusion. I'm telling you, I use it all the time and I am definitely far more consistent with my training when I've got the app keeping me honest and on track and it just feels so good at the end of the week to close out those bars. You can hit that link in your notes or go to thestruggleclimbingshow.com slash crimped, C-R-I-M-P-D to download it for free and take your training to new heights. Shout out to Scarpa, the official shoe sponsor of the Struggle Climbing Show, and my favorite shoes. Oh my gosh, I've been climbing in Scarpas for a decade, and I absolutely love the way that they fit and how they perform on rock and at the gym. The Instinct VSs have been a game changer for me, you guys, on the steep climbing that I'm doing over here at the Red. They just toe in and stick to everything. And also on the moonboard and the sets at the gym, I gotta say, I'm just able to move with such confidence and put more weight on my feet, which is such a good thing because my fingers are pretty weak and I can use all the help that I can get. So whether you're a weekend warrior like me or a pro like Sean Rabatou, Nina Williams, Nathaniel Coleman, Alex Puccio, Jordan Cannon, Maddie Hong, oh my gosh, what a team. Scarpa has got you. They've been sustainably making the best footwear for climbers, trail runners, skiers, and hikers since 1938. I love my approach shoes. I love my climbing shoes. And I think you will too. You can shop the whole collection over at scarpa.com. Scarpa, no place too far. Let's talk about tactics now. And this is a kind of a, a wide ranging area, but for, for somebody who seemingly has almost no, you know, real, real weaknesses, you're taking on the hardest boulders in the world, the hardest sport climbs in the world, and the hardest comp climbs in the world. Is, is there anything there that's a struggle? Hmm, good question. I don't know. I'm a bit of, I, I like to like to have a strategy for, for everything. So when I'm trying like the hardest boulder in the world or the hardest route in the world, I have a tactic for myself, you know, like especially on routes, I know how to manage these kind of things. It's different from in bouldering, I have less experience. So last year on Burden of Dreams, it was a learning experience for me. Yeah, let's look at that. Maybe compare and contrast Burden of Dreams and Silence. The hardest sport route in the world, the hardest boulder in the world. You've taken them on and you're making really good progress on both of them, in fact. But they're so different, it seems like, strategically on how you would try to tackle each of those projects. Maybe give me a little bit of a, a comparison on what goes through your mind tactically as you are trying to climb both of those, which seem to be at the absolute limit of all climbing ability. Yeah, so I have this method to try routes that I called the low point technique, but I don't know if maybe as another name. I, I didn't invent it, I just trying to use it. So it's basically to try the moves, try the links, and then try to send the route from like a certain point to the top. And if I can send it, let's say from the half of the route to the top, then I start trying from maybe a like a quarter route to the top, and then a few moves before to the top. In this way, I'm always like training on the part that I struggle most. Because if I start, every time start from the ground, 
like I did, for example, in Perfecto Mundo, which I didn't use this, this technique, uh, I was always falling at the crux move. Uh, instead, if I'm using like this low, low point technique, I'm starting from the crux to the top, and then few moves below the crux to the top, and then 10 moves below the crux to the top. In this way, I'm always trying new moves first, and so I'm learning these moves to be more efficient on these moves, and arriving at the crux slightly fresher every time. And this is the way I'm trying silence right now. Actually, silence is a bit different because it has different cruxes. So my goal is was at the beginning was to try to climb the second crux to the top, which I did last year. And then now I tried just the first crux. And like last year I did the, like the first crux as a whole. So my next goal would be to climb the first cracks and the second cracks together on, to the top uh, and then hopefully fall on the ground. And in, in bouldering it's a bit different because you can do the same, but it's in, in terms of moves and not on cracks. So what I did on Bouldering of Dreams, I tried to, to do every move as a single move and then try to connect two moves in a row, like every two moves and then like every three moves and then like the last part would be to connect everything. And there, at the end, I tried to apply this technique to, to bouldering and it was working. I, I did many progress in, uh, in just a few days, but uh, yeah, maybe I'm missing something for uh, bouldering. I need to, to find the key to, to climb Boulder of Dreams or maybe it's just super hard and I need more training. But uh, I feel like in, like in lead climbing, I know better my limits and I know the rules that I can climb and I cannot climb. While in bouldering, maybe I, I'm not there yet. I don't know if bouldering of dreams would be possible for me in a short time, in a long time or ever will be possible. For sure, I did good progress, but then it's still super hard. Well, no doubt it's super hard. That much is clear, but you made incredible progress on it. I think when you were out on the actual boulder, didn't you go from move two to the top? Yes, I did from move two to the top. That's, yeah, that's basically the long point technique applied to bouldering. It doesn't get any lower than that. I mean, that's that's yeah, it, yeah. right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I need to start <laughs> from the move one and then go to the top. Uh, but I think move one is as hard as move two to five. So like for me, the, the hardest thing, the part where I struggled most was to do the first move and try to connect the rest of the boulder. I did right. a few quite maybe six or seven times the first move, not many times, and every time I did it, I I couldn't do like as perfectly as you can start from the second move, so I can I couldn't do the rest of the moves. But right. I, I think it's possible. You, you you changed your foot beta up on that, didn't you? Uh, something about uh, I think you were like dr dropping the right foot off. No, I was just using uh, another foothold after the first move. A small foothold, but then now I think it broke because I think when Aiden Roberts or Elias Yanyema were there, some, some, one of them tried the, this, this move and broke the foothold. So now I have to go back and check if it's still possible with my foothold or not. Hopefully it will be possible or otherwise I need to do in a, like a, the rest of the climbers did. Well, give me a prediction. When are you going to be heading back to Burden? When are you going to be heading back to Flatanger to get on silence? Uh, I think I will be first on silence on, I think, this August after the, uh, the Olympics, if I qualify or before the Olympics, if I don't qualify, <laughs> as soon as I'm free from competition, I will be there. 
and Burden of Dreams probably in the next fall. I would like to go for before, like in the spring, but I think I need to focus on training more. And maybe I can find some time, maybe a week or 10 days, if I feel like super, super fit and super strong on fingers and on, on core strength, and I feel like I can do the boulder in maybe one week, 10 days, maybe I can have like a short visit there. Otherwise, I will delay the trip to next fall. Hmm. For you, which would you consider to be the bigger challenge? I think silence is, is a, biggest, a bigger challenge for me because there's like this, there are many parts and connecting all of them, I think is, I think it's, it's harder for, a, for like even a boulder or even a sport climber. Silence for me is a harder challenge. Yeah, when I spoke with Adam recently, he said that the crux one on silence was the hardest boulder problem he's ever done. Of course, he said it was about 20 moves, so he didn't know if you could actually call it a boulder problem. But he also noted that you do it differently. I think you go with the right foot into the toe jam instead of what he did with the left. Is that right? Yeah, I go with the right foot because it's easier to go because I can push me with my left foot to, to adjust a bit more the right foot, which is a, a bit easier for me. And then I go with the right foot so that I can, when I twist upside down, when I go back, in a normal position, I can use some creams that Adam wasn't using. He was going all the way up to his, uh, his foot. He was even grabbing his foot at some points. And I use some creams on the right. That are, uh, they, are small, they are small, but they're, for me, it's better. And so, like, the crux is basically the same. I just switch my foot and use some creams to go around. But I think the hardest part is just before that, uh, that part. Going to put the foot in the crack is the hardest part. It's really fascinating to watch you work, work through it. I'm excited to, to see how that goes. Uh, another route that you've done over there was Change, which you got the second ascent of 9B+, right? You got a second ascent of Bibliography. We were just talking about Alex Magos, originally graded 9C, but then you felt it was more 9B+, because I think you found some different beta in there. I'm wondering how important it is to work on routes that are that challenge you in different ways. I mean, those two routes are, seem to climb very differently, bibliography and, ch and change, but both are amongst the hardest in the world. So it's interesting to me because like for myself, I know what my strengths are and I, I can push the top end in the areas that I feel are the most strong. But those two routes in particular seem to require different skills and different even energy systems and yet they're the hardest in the world and you've done them. So yeah, I'm curious your perspective on how it is you choose routes and whether you feel going towards your strengths or having more of a well-rounded open mind has served you. Yeah, I. there are not many routes as hard as a change in a bibliography in the world. So there is not much choice actually. So. What I try to do is try to find something that is really hard. And for example, change, I, before going to Flatanger, I was already, I knew I wanted to climb change and I watched Adam's video and he did, he couldn't see, I couldn't understand if he was my style or not, probably not because he was like struggling a lot with this like moves under the roof. And I knew that I'm not that, as flexible as Adam. So I knew I could have some problems in the first cracks. But I like I just hope that I could find some other betas that could fit more in my style, <clears throat> and so just I went there and tried to find some other betas because Adam's beta was impossible for me. 
while in bibliography the style was maybe better for me because it's like just a steep route with pockets and creams with not so good rest like many people that were trying the route with me were struggling on having some rest between the two cruxes while I was having very good time in the, in the rest I was uh, recovering really well in fact my biggest struggle there was the first crux I always fall fell at the first crux and once I passed the first crux I went to the top while Jorge Diaz Rulo even Seb or Seb Wen or uh, uh, Sean Bailey who repeated the route they fell I think between five and 12 times after the first crux. I think bibliography was the route that suited me the most, but also I want to challenge myself on something different, like change or even silence that is very different from, from these routes. It's, it's weird, it's complicated, it's technical, and has some good rest for sure, but it's more cruxy than these other two routes. Yeah, and I think along those lines, it's been really interesting to see how you've projected at the top end while also working in side projects. I think out in Flatanger, there was Move Hard and Kangaroo's Limb, I think were a couple, you know, climbs out there that you were working in that are still incredibly hard. 9B or 9A plus, still not easy climbs up to the chains there. And for those of us who are working to project at their limits, I'm working on the hardest thing that I'm trying to climb right now. Mostly I go out there and I just get on the thing and I'm, I'm, I do have limited days, so I, I try to use them most efficiently. But I can see the allure of getting on routes that are maybe similar in style, but not quite as difficult. And I'm curious what your strategy is around that or your tactics around that uh, on, on working in routes that are not quite at the level of the project that you're doing and, and how that has helped you, uh, if it has helped you on those bigger projects. Yeah, it happened uh, in Flatanger twice because usually when I do a, like a trip to Flatanger, I do a long trip. So in, I'm trying something hard, but I also need to train. So basically while I was there, I was also training and this helps like my body and like to, to train. But I also need something else for the mind because being like two months on the same route could be frustrating sometimes. So if you're maybe going to try a project just on the weekends or just have limited days, you can just jump on the project. There's no problem because like during the other days, during the week, you are doing something else. While like a long trip, like uh, in Flatanger, like two months trip, while there's, there are no weekdays or no weekends, you're just, every day is the same. Every day you try the same route, you try the same moves, and sometimes you don't even have progress on the route, you don't even see the progress. I think I need for the mind some other things to do, other routes to climb, because you go there every day, there are a lot of routes to try, a lot of easier routes to try that I'd like to try, but sometimes I feel stuck on this project. Like last year and, and the year before I said, I need something else to try. Maybe I'll do two goals on silence and one go on kangaroo slim or two goes on silence and two goes on uh, move hard. And then let's see how it goes. And then when I'm closer maybe to send one of these side projects, I switch and just go 100% on the side project. If I'm doing some attempts, on, I'm very close. Like one or two days, I just dedicate on, on those side projects. So when I can send these side projects, I'm again motivated and psyched again to try it, the main project. 
Otherwise, the, also the motivation is not easy to keep high motivation on something that you are trying for months, every day, the same things, the same approach, the same routes, the same moves, same routine. It can be frustrating and maybe you can be in a negative loop that you want to escape sometime. And like escaping with a side project is good because you, it keeps you on the track and otherwise you could give up on, on the main project. The mental game chapter here and talking about mindset. And wh where have you struggled there, Stefano? Mm, I think it's, the mindset is one of the my like strongest points. So I don't really struggle on the mindset. I always have a positive mindset and try also because of the strategy, I try to plan everything. I when like someone asked me if I have some, uh, for example, some uh, rituals to to do before the competition or before climbing. I said that I don't need that and I just, I know I don't need the rituals to, to go good in climbing and to go well in a, on a route. And this no need of ritual is my actual ritual. <laughs> I like it. What, what about fear? You know, I was talking about my kind of fear of falling uh, when I get high above a bolt and these kinds of things. And since you started um, so much of your climbing career was, was indoors. When you moved outside, did you contend with uh, fear of falling at all? Uh, yes. Uh, at the beginning, it was, uh, was harder because uh, like the environment was different. It is more exposed. You are outside. It's, it can be... I could feel the fear. And I still can sometimes because maybe if I'm very far from the bolt and I'm not in an easy situation, I can feel the fear. It's, I think it's natural. It's not nothing to hide or nothing to to try to avoid we can try to not to think about it one of my i think one of the tips that i give to people that ask me how to can how to fight fear is for me is to focus on goals so if i have the goal to send the route usually when you start and you're close to send the route you don't feel fear you can even skip clips or something if you have a goal in mind that is like sending the route or even just going to the next week or, or just try to climb this next section, you can forget about fear. And this is, I think, the, the most useful way to, to overcome this, this fear of falling. Yeah, it, does that, do you feel that in, at all in competitions as well? Or is it to your point, like the goal is so clear that you're not thinking about the fall? Yeah, usually in competition you don't think about anything, even if you're very far from the bolt or in a complicated situation where you need to clip but you cannot. You just think about the competition, just think about getting higher and higher. So the fear in competition, for me at least, is, is not present. The fear, I think, it comes when you are not in a focused environment. So maybe where you, when you're trying a route but you don't have the goal to to send it and you're from maybe far from the bolt on something that you cannot control 100% because if you can control on 100% you don't have fear because you know you're not going to fall but if there's a possibility to fall and you're focused not on the goal so not on the next move not on reaching the next quick throw then the fear can can arrive and for me the best way to to fight it is to focus on on the climb on the goal and and in competition comes naturally. On rock climbing, you need to force it a bit because sometimes you're just trying maybe the moves from bolt to bolt and you need to say 
to yourself, okay, now I start climbing and go to the next bolt and this is my goal for now. And so when you set this goal in your mind, then you kind of forget about fear. Yeah, you put out a great video um, when you were working on Sleeping Lion um, and, and just bolt to bolting it and, and essentially that was on display. You were trying really hard moves, but bolt to bolt. So you would grab the next draw, clip through, take, check things out. And it, yeah, I could see how you were essentially breaking it down in these manageable sections, whether it was dealing with fear or just the difficulty of the route. It was. It seemed very manageable for you. I think what might be interesting is to contrast that with a different type of mental struggle, if you will, when it comes to comps, and that might be expectations or failure or just the pressure to try to perform under circumstances where you don't have another chance, right? You can always get back to silence, assuming that nothing catastrophic happens in the Flatanger Cave, but at a competition, you might just have one shot to flash a route and that's it. And how does that impact your mental game compared to when you're projecting outdoors? Yeah, for sure there's more pressure on, on competition. Sometimes on rock climbing you can feel the same pressure when you're like close to sand and you maybe have less day, a few days to climb and the trip is going to end. And like when in competition is everything is much stronger. You can feel it much stronger. And I have a few tricks on this side too. And talking to myself is one of them. And the things that I say the most is, is try to convince myself and it is the truth. So it's not like convincing, it's just trying to tell the truth to myself that I'm having fun because I like to climb. And so maybe just before a competition, just before a World Cup final, I say to myself that I'm there because I'm having fun and I climb because I'm having fun. And so when I try this final route, the goal is to, okay, to reach the top, but to enjoy it as much as I can. And that I'm just doing the thing that I love most and I shouldn't worry about the pressure, about falling, about doing mistakes because everything I do is what I love. So. Uh, saying this to myself helps me to calm down and focus on uh, not on the pressure, not on the failure, but on the not on the success too, but on the on the fun, on the enjoying the the moment. I love it. I love that man. If you can focus on having fun when you're trying to qualify for the Olympics or win a big competition, I think the rest of us can focus on that as well when the stakes are quite a bit smaller, but can feel just as big. So that's a really good uh, perspective. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's not easy, but if you can try to talk to yourself and say it even loud, you can, you can trick yourself that it's not like a big competition. It's just like a training session with friends and you're just having fun. Just, I just picture myself like, you know, cruxing out and freaking out in the middle of my route and just yelling, I'm having fun. This is fun. As <laughs> no, tears are screaming. Maybe just say to yourself in your mind, <laughs> maybe it would be better. Right, right. But it, it would be fun to see. Yeah, exactly. It'd be fun for everybody else to watch yeah, me uh, else. <laughs> melting down and screaming. I'm having fun. <laughs> Let's talk about the Olympics. Uh, this is, you know, something that's very meaningful to you. T t tell me, you know, what um, the Olympics do mean to you and also just what your strategy is and what your life is going to be like here for the next few months. Yeah, the Olympics are uh, the most important competition. And even if I don't like the format, I think nobody likes the format combined. I like it more than the previous one with speed. But, uh, Better than yeah, Tokyo. 
yeah but for sure uh, i would prefer everyone would prefer like their own uh, uh, discipline but it's the most important competition and i'm i like to compete i like the feeling to compete and i think the olympic will be uh, like the the highest point you can reach in a competition and on all the feelings that you can feel while competing so this is my goal for uh, for this year and this is why i'm training here in innsbruck uh, but also i'm when i'm training i'm always thinking about i'm not just training for olympics i'm training to be a better climber a stronger climber and all this training that i use that i will use for the olympic qualification will be also useful for for the silence for many other projects so i'm not just training for olympic i'm using this olympic training for many many projects are you just a little bit sad that you're not spending time on the speed wall uh, no no <laughs> i'm just happy <laughs> i never tried the speed after the olympic qualification again so i'm quite happy i don't have to do it it's just not my thing even if i if when i was really young i was even fast but then uh, i just discovered and figured out that speed climbing was not my thing well let's talk about the fact that now with this upcoming olympics in paris it is combined lead and boulder and what is that going to take what's it going to take to be the best combined athlete in paris the format is different from the previous one also because of the point system tokyo olympics it was a matter of a, a position about like your position in speed your position in lead and bouldering and they would multiply your your position compared to others so this was a bit of a mess i think and it would change everything the ranking was changing every time that one climber was was climbing it was like switching the the names in this case in in paris will be different will be a matter of points it will be more important what you actually do in your route and your boulders than what others do because you will get total points for 100 i think 100 points for a, like if you top all the boulder flash and 100 points if you top the route and so it doesn't matter what the others do it just matters at the end compare the points so my goal would be to do as much points i can do in lead climbing which is my main focus and try to be not as bad in not bad in bouldering to get it would be ideal to get few tops to get like at least 50 points i would say i don't know how many points i'll need to qualify it depends also on on others the most points you get in your weaker discipline the most relaxed you can uh, you can be in, in your discipline and do and do better yeah that makes sense so how does that affect your training strategy what what's your main focus or is there a main focus for the next few months here yeah my main focus is to in the first months would be to train in uh, like pure strength which i needed for both bouldering and lead climbing and a bit of endurance for so i'm doing some routes and like once a week i'm trying some uh, competition and modern style bouldering which are not my main focus but uh, i need to train for to get some points even if i cannot do like a whole boulder maybe on something that i'm really weak uh, there are some uh, chute zones in the in every boulder so even getting like the second zone gets 10 points which is a lot actually so i'm trying to strengthen my weaknesses in bouldering but i i think the main thing would be focus on my strengths so roots and endurance 
aside from yourself, for those of us listening that aren't at Innsbruck and also haven't been around uh, into the comp scene as much as you have, who are the athletes that you feel are the ones to watch that have the skill set both on Boulder and lead uh, going into Paris? Okay, so I think maybe in my point of view, the favorite, the the one that has most chance to win is the younger Sorato Raku, hmm. who is probably the the more complete. is is like super strong in lead climbing, and incredibly strong in uh, in bouldering. So yeah. I think this is the one everyone fear the most. And then Toby Roberts is also super strong in lead, maybe a bit less complete in uh, in bouldering. Still amazingly strong. He won uh, a World Cup in. Uh, in Brixen this, uh, last year, so but it's, I think has more weaknesses than Sorato, but these are the two that are I think competing for for the gold medal, and then there are like some older guns, Jakob Schubert and Adam Ondra, which are more experienced. So maybe in a hard competition like Olympics, they could they could perform even better than some younger climbers that are maybe more complete. Yeah, I'll be pulling for the old guys, my fellow old guys out there. And how much are you hoping to see a crack boulder problem pop up here in the comp? Well, I trained not a lot, but I trained a cellar with a PDW taker last year. So yeah. I think I'm not, I don't consider myself an expert on crack, but I'm for sure more expert than uh, many of the competition climbers. So if there will be a crack in a, on a boulder, I, I'm pretty sure I can do it. And as I did in the La Sportiva Legends only, there was this crack at the end and many, like not many, but some of the competition climbers that were, that are much stronger than me, struggle a lot on the crack and I could do it. If I can find a crack in a, in a bouldering competition, I would be happy. Well, it was impressive. You put impressive work in there as well as in the cellar and, and a little bit of crack training on silence as well, uh, going inverted yeah, yeah. and getting the foot jam in there. So, uh, very cool, man. I wish you luck at the Olympics. What an exciting process to be a part of and i'm sure the psych is very high in innsbruck yeah yeah for sure like the environment here is very motivating sometimes too much and i need to take some rest but it is very challenging and motivating um, i want to talk about some of your content we were just talking about a, a couple of the videos there like uh, being in the cellar with pete you've put together some really fun videos on the replicas of Burden of Dreams and Silence and just the content that you put out regularly, consistently. One of which is you are trying to trade a brush for a rock climbing gym. And I'm curious how that's going. Okay, it started really well. We immediately trade the brush for a camera lens, like the first week. And then we trade the lens for a bike and the bike I think it was the end of last year for for a computer, a personal computer. And but we are, I'm kind of stuck here now with a PC that I need to trade for something else. And the goal is to reach a climbing gym in Arco because in Arco there are not many climbing gyms. There are just one small climbing gym. But I need a training facility to to train after I go back home. And so yeah, it would be cool if someone can <laughs> can trade something, but. I know the like the the goal is a bit maybe too high. It just it started as a joke and actually it went pretty well at the beginning. But uh, at the same time, I know maybe a climbing gym is not something really possible. Well, maybe you could trade an Olympic medal. Oh yeah, I, I would love that. 
That would that would do it. How much is a computer worth? Do you think? Like, where are you at? Thousand bucks? Yeah, more or less. It's uh, like a MacBook Pro, so it's maybe a bit less, but around a thousand bucks could be. All right. Well, like still better than a climbing brush, but not enough for a climbing gym for sure. I'll tell you what. I don't know if this helps at all because it would it very much limits the potential for the next trade. But I will trade three ad spots on my podcast for the MacBook. So if there's a brand out there or a person out there who wants to advertise whatever it is that you do on the Struggle Climbing Show, you can get yourself a few ad spots here and, and we'll try and get Stefano a little bit closer to that gym. Yeah, yeah, it would be nice. Maybe it's, or maybe if there's like a climbing gym that wants to, to advertise and give me the gym, it would be good. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, good, good luck on that. <laughs> And what like what else is going to be going on with your channel? You've your YouTube's growing really fast. I think you put out great stuff. Like, what are your goals for the year, and how much time are you able to actually invest to that with all of your other primary goals as being a professional climber? Yeah, last year I had the plan to do one video every two weeks, which was uh, challenging, but at the same time was really fun. And this year, with the, all the training and Olympic qualification. I reduced the, the amount of videos that I'm going to do. So the plan is to do one video per month. And there will be, a, like, actually we have some videos ready. Uh, they're going to be super good. For example, the Excalibur video is going to be out on uh, February 12th. And, but not on my channel, or on uh, the North Face channel. And a video uh, about silence, the last pro two videos about silence, the last progress that I had last year that I haven't published yet. It will be more or less a surprise. I, I haven't sent the route, but I did good progress. So the video will be very cool. And some other videos about my, especially about my training, I think will be easier because I'm training a lot. And so filming me training will be like the most logical thing to do. Yeah. Oh, I'm so psyched. I'm psyched for all of that. And I do want to talk about Excalibur in just a second here. But one, you know, one of the videos that you did this past year, you dressed up as an old guy. You had this big mustache and, and this like gray wig and and it was very funny. I think your humor is fantastic. It really comes through. But it brought to mind this thought about getting old in, in general, right? We're all going to be old men or women at some point in time, hopefully. And do you think about what your relationship with, cl with climbing will be when you're no longer pushing grades or trying to progress as much as just get outside and, and move over rock? Have you thought about what that might be like for you? Yeah, I think uh, climbing will be like a good part of my life, even if I will, even when I will be older. And I think I will just switch my focus. Is maybe right now I'm focusing on uh, like hard projecting and competition. Maybe when I'm be older, I'm just focusing on like more easier routes. Maybe having like more fun at the crag without focusing on some hard project that it is fun for me, but sometimes. It's, uh, I, it's, it feels like a job, it feels something that I have to do because it's my job or something like this, even if I'm having fun with this. I think in the future I can focus more on something that maybe some easier routes, but uh, I could enjoy more maybe the place. I can choose like different places during the year, not focusing on going every day, every year to Flatanger. Maybe some years I can go somewhere else or just having a vacation for climbing where I could just climb for fun. I think my future will be this, and I, I like both parts, and sometimes I do even even now, but I think my future will be about easier climbs, 
But maybe with some projects, I don't know, even Ben Moon is climbing really hard, uh, even if it's like 50 or I don't know uh, how old is he and he's still climbing 9A or hard stuff. So I think I could cl even climb hard stuff maybe in the future, I hope. Uh, and I think it will be fun anyway. That's great, man. I, I got to talk about Excalibur for a minute here. And by the time this show comes out, the video will have come out and I cannot wait to see it. It's been a year. Uh, first of all, congratulations. One of the hardest routes in the world. And in fact, I don't know, maybe the hardest route in the world. Savannah, I was just talking to Adam Andra. He said he's not going to go back to Excalibur. Will Bosey's been making progress on it, but hasn't quite been able to put it together. Jakob has put work in on it, hasn't put it together. Should Excalibur potentially be 9C? Well, uh, at the beginning I thought about it and uh, I was uh, I was struggling with giving a grade. At some point I was also thinking about not giving a grade to Excalibur when, uh, when I did it because uh, it is hard to grade something like this. It is hard to grade in general and something like this is even harder for me. Mm, I don't think it could be 9C because at the end, yeah, I was thinking about uh, it was 9B plus and, or something like this or even harder, but then at the end with just some adjustment on the betas, I could do very good attempts and at that time I realized, oh, maybe it's just 9B and, and then I realized, okay, no, <laughs> it cannot be 9B, otherwise like the other guys could have crushed it in like in just a few days. I don't think it could be 9C compared to the 9C that I tried right now. So I just, actually, I just tried Silence and I think it's, it, it is a bit easier than Silence. So maybe 9B plus, but it could also be that Silence is a hard 9C and Excalibur a, a easy one, I don't know. And, or it could be like more my style because even if it's like super short, it is a bit about endurance because there's this rest in the middle and as I was told you, telling you before, I can recover really well in the rest. And this was, I think, the key point for me to send in Excalibur and maybe the biggest problem for Adam, that he wasn't resting that long in the middle rest on Excalibur and was struggling a lot on the last crux move. So yeah, actually, Will Bozzi put a lot of effort on, on it and he couldn't do it yet. Jakob Schubert actually just tried it for one day and I think it could have very good uh, good possibility to climb the route. But also other climbers tried it. Also Alex Magos tried it for, uh, I think, a couple of days. And also Sean Rabutu tried it for, for a few days, not, not many days, but also like uh, route climbers and boulders are trying this route, which is cool because maybe you don't see like a boulder trying a route like change or or like a very long route but this one is good for both lead climbers and and boulders oh man it's just such an impressive climb on a huge list of really impressive climbs stefano i cannot wait to see you get back outside on on silence and everything else but i know right now the focus is uh the olympics and innsbruck and i'm gonna let you get back to your very important training right now so i thank you for your time for your stoke and for sharing everything that you did here today I just found this such a delightful chat and good luck with everything you got going on, man. Thank you. It was really fun to talk with you. All right. That clips the anchors here on this episode with Stefano. What a cool guy. Gosh, I just loved talking to him and, and I loved how positive he is throughout everything that we were talking about 
whether he's under a huge amount of pressure for Olympic training and qualifications or trying to send the hardest rigs on the planet. I love that positivity. I'm going to try to practice embracing some of that fun as I get into my training and my climbing here this week, and I hope you will too. And speaking of fun, oh man, I got a really, really fun bonus episode with Stefano that is available right now to patrons and subscribers. In it, he dives into the topic of downgrades, everybody's favorite subject, talking about bibliography, Sleeping Lion, Sleepwalker, and also his thoughts on whether silence might be a different grade than what Adam Andra has given it. Super interesting stuff. We also chat about how Stefano's training his max power right now for his fingers, and when replica training works, actually works, versus just when it's better to focus on the basics. And so we were looking at Burden of Dreams and Silence as those two examples. He's also breaking down how his beta on silence is different from what Adam Andre does, and so much more. He answers patron questions, and then we have a fun little flash attempt at the end. And you can grab instant access to that, plus 40 hours of other bonus content featuring Adam Andre, Chris Sharma, Nina Williams, Alex Honnold, Hazel Finlay, Tyler Nelson, and so many more right now for free, zero cost, with a seven-day trial. So you can just double-click if you're an iPhone person right there in Apple Podcasts, or swing over to patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show. That link is right there in your show notes. And you can check all of it out for free. See if it's worth it to you. I'd really appreciate your support because I'm working hard over here to put out great content. So your support is really what makes that happen. And if you don't dig it, you can quit. There's no obligation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Huge thanks and appreciation to our show sponsors who have brought you this episode at zero cost. Check your show notes for links and special discounts from those guys that are only available to Struggle listeners. And also you can see all of the show's brand sponsors and special deals by just popping over to thestruggleclimbingshow.com slash deals. The Struggle is carbon neutral in partnership with the Honnold Foundation. Awesome. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin, and The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. You can follow along with the show on YouTube and Instagram at The Struggle Climbing Show, and you can also shoot me a note there. I'd love to hear from you. I hope training and climbing are going awesome. And if you're struggling like me, well, at least The Struggle makes us stronger.